Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And we continue with season six where we're looking at classic films of the moving picture era. Films that have defined what cinema is all about. So for today's episode, I shall talk about the famous 1961 comedy drama Breakfast at Tiffany's, based on a novel by Truman Capote and directed by Blake Edwards, and starring Audrey Hepburn, George Peppard, and Patricia Neal. A film that really shines everywhere for women in particular, the portrayal of socialite Holly Golightly becomes smitten with her mysterious neighbour Paul. Both with their own secrets, they soon realise they are drawn to each other, but each other's lifestyle and routine in the material world continues to draw them apart, only to be brought together at the end by true love. And let me just say, that only happens in the movie, not the novel. The film extends 60 years later with some of the most iconic scenes. Hepburn in that black dress and her ginger cat called Cat, her cigarette holder. The image appears in people's memories of a stronghold even more than half a decade later. The film challenges, in fact it breaks the stereotypes on how women were portrayed in movies before 1961. She's seen entirely independent, quirky, and with this exterior vibrant energy she carries around but in fact it's also a tragedy which adds to the glamour of the film because all this sort of sugarcoating the fact that she is actually a cool girl which is an odd person or woman to have idolized in this film i think what really makes her attractive to audiences is that she's a woman who isn't being portrayed as a typical housewife remember after the war the 50s were returning back to normal in terms of gender the men go out and the women usually portray a housewife on screen and tend into the brat and kids so when we got to the turn of the 60s sex was now being introduced heavily on screen and even certain genres started to experiment and expand i mean psycho came out a year before breakfast at tiffany's and played on the themes of voyeurism, mental health, and running parallels with the terms of being a transvestite or queer. In the 50s, uh, for a woman, too much sex was bad. You were considered a slut. And if you lent the other way, if you were too little as a sex appeal, you were considered a saint. So there was no real in-between at all. No one even dared to try it with women on screen. When Breakfast at Tiffany's did was throw away this stupid, trivial housewife label and introduce a very complex female character. It doesn't matter that she leeches off men or she relies on gangsters' money uh, money every week simply by looking beautiful and visiting him. It's the fact that she's alone and doing this, and it's hidden in layers. But I think that's what people love about Audrey Hepburn's performance uh, with Breakfast at Tiffany's. There's this exterior where she is just glamorous and beautiful, the imagery of her outside Tiffany's with her coffee and her Danish and this high-class New York black dress. But behind closed doors, she lives in this grotty flat with a ginger cat. And in truth, she's actually just a cool girl who uses her beauty to survive. And some feminists may find this film insulting when people say this is an inspiring movie for women. I, however, emphasise the other way with this film, with it being a strong feminist movie, especially for the time it came out. It was revolutionary. Go Lightly in this film is a woman taking charge of her own life and suffering from it on her own. She doesn't rely on anyone else when she suffers from within. She takes the whole responsibility for herself. And for that, you have to admire this woman on screen. That is why that scene at the end of the movie where she finally embraces Paul was amazing because he shouted at her and it finally sunk in her head. She figured out that she was being a bit of a bitch before and now she's figured it out. The first step in solving any problem is recognising that there is one. 
Breakfast at Tiffany's was a novel written by the great Truman Capote. There was actually a film called Capote that won the late Philip Seaman Hoffman an Oscar for Best Actor. It's a great film, great performance. But Truman Capote is considered one of the world's literary best, one of the best American novelists that ever lived. Uh, I mean, he's had so many links to other greats as well. I mean, he was childhood friends with the great Harper Lee, and consequently, he was the inspiration for the character Dill in To Kill a Mockingbird. He also happens to be a very distant cousin of another famous writer, Tennessee Williams. Personally, Old Man in the Sea is one of my favourite books. I just love that story. And even as a long-time partner, he um, he was seeing a guy called Jack Dunphy, who was a novelist as well. But he was surrounded by talent. By no extension of them, he was a genius himself. Capote wasn't even his real name, although everyone knows him by that, like everyone knows Marion Robertson as John Wayne. Truman Capote was born Truman Streckfuss Persons. He actually took his stepfather's name, which is now a name that has people turning their heads when anyone says it. As many authors do, they envision a particular actor for the lead role in their novel when writing it and even when they completed it. Stephanie Myers for Bella, Stephen King for Andy Dufresne, J.K. Rowling for Harry Potter and so on. But it's actually very rare that they get their usual choice. Now, not only did Capote not get his original choice for Holly Golightly, but he also didn't like the actress in terms of playing her. Marilyn Monroe was actually the one he had in mind for her, but her agent, Marilyn Monroe's agent, told her not to take the role because it wouldn't be good for her image to play a cool girl. How wrong this agent was when Audrey Hepburn ended up getting nominated for a Golden Globe and an Oscar nomination. Every woman wanted to be this independent Holly Golightly. Every woman you see on screen or you know in real life who who has those over-the-top sunglasses with a cocktail on their hands, stinking of elegance and class, but with this low-class banter. I assure you, if you follow the roots all the way to the, the source of that, it goes to Holly Golightly, or more specifically, her performance, Audrey Hepburn. Like I said before, this is a very odd choice for an icon, but I completely understand. It's like iconizing Robert De Niro, but he's a gangster and films the way he kills people. That does a lot of illegal things. However, people idolise Robert De Niro. It's the same thing here. Why can't women idolise Audrey Hepburn in this role? Basically, how men idolise all gangsters despite the ethics behind it is a similar sort of comparison when talking about Holly Golightly or Audrey Hepburn. However, she's not really doing anything illegal in Breakfast at Tiffany's. She's simply being ridiculously independent and handling all the repercussions that most people may understand and that's probably what makes this film so good it's relatable to men and women everywhere handling your own problems and not telling anyone about it and that's what's so good about her character now the character of holly doesn't really change from the novel to the film however the situation she faces does quite change but which curiously makes her character more interesting in both the novel and the film. So in both the novel and the book, uh, sorry, in both the novel and the movie, Holly does manage to stumble into the friendship with this somewhat lonely young writer, Paul. Now, Paul begins this ongoing friendship with her, despite knowing that she takes $50 in a powder room. She takes weather reports from a gangster, which is someone completely unrelated to the story but very dodgy and she gets arrested for it later however it just shows her recklessness and her naive way of living and of course later she tries to steal someone else's husband who's going to be president of brazil but besides the smaller changes like the film being set in the swinging 60s rather than the bleakness of the post-war 40s in the book and also what holly does in the book is very blunt she is a cool girl borderline prostitute but in the film they do quite a good job to make this profession of hers quite elegant instead of trashy but it is the ending that somewhat causes conversation and a bit of 
controversy. Now, at the end of the movie, Holly throws away the cat in the rain. Very sad. Paul tells her exactly what he thinks of her. Finally, after throwing the Tiffany's ring at her and leaving her in a cab for her to pursue this man in Brazil. In the book, she never finds the cat like she does in the film and never really sees Paul again. And that's it. We never see him again. Now, in the film, of course, they find the cat and they embrace with a kiss in the rain. It's very romantic. Moon River plays in the background. It's your perfect cinematic moment that we've all been waiting for for the entire movie. This cat and mouse of two people who clearly have a connection. And it all ties together nicely at the end. In the book, after he throws the ring at her in the cab, that's the last we see of Paul. And they never see each other again, which is a very sad ending in the Truman Capote book. This also sparked a bit of controversy because not only is the ending the poster image for the movie, but it goes totally against the sexual orientation of Paul. Now, in the book, Paul is a homosexual, but still loves Holly, but not in that way. It seems to show us in the film um, at points, but it never really explicitly reveals that. Now, yes, they do well to hide that in the movie. In fact, he's pretty much heterosexual in the movie. And that didn't cause a stir considering the movie came out in the 60s. Yeah, it was completely the opposite. But it certainly, ca- it certainly caused a stir with the fans of the book. Holly Golightly is arguably also bisexual um, in the book. However, the movie never really explores that, only really hints at it with her expressions at the strip club scene. And the Emily character in the movie, the one that basically pays Paul to sleep with her, doesn't even exist in the original novel. Uh, in the novel, it's simply added to the movie to emphasise the fact that Paul isn't a homosexual. The fact that he does sleep with a woman, just reiterating that he isn't gay, which adds to the whole dynamic of the box of, of the boy getting the girl climax at the end of the movie. Now, these, of course, uh, these little changes, well, these big changes, of course, upset Truman Capote, who himself was very open with his sexuality, even through the 60s. Now, Breakfast at Tiffany's, it was, you know, it was nominated for five Oscars, including Best Actress for Audrey Hepburn. She didn't win. The two Oscars it won for were both for music, Best Original Score, of course, it was for Moon River, and the Best Score, which um, Henry Mancini both, uh, and he won both of them. He won Best Original Score and Best Original Song. And I think Sophia Loren ended up being Audrey Hepburn for Best Actress for her role in Two Women. But it was like West Side Story. That was the big winner of that year, I think, 1962 Academy Awards. Um, West Side Story has actually been remade next year by Steven Spielberg, which is going to be quite exciting. Um, but yeah, anyway. So Henry Mancini, he won both Oscars for Breakfast at Tiffany's. He wrote the song Moon River, especially for Haw- um, Audrey Hepburn, deliberately choosing a song with her specific vocal strengths. And a lot of people ask, why is it called Breakfast at Tiffany's? Which seems like a really stupid question, but... The answer is exactly how it sounds, because each morning she gazes at the Tiffany department store in New York whilst eating her Danish and her coffee from the outside. It is that moment there that Holly feels completely content with her life. It's the highlight of her day, and it's quite an iconic moment. She goes later into the store with the movie with Paul, but they soon realise that the only thing they can afford is a phone dialer worth $7. I think they actually get the animal cracker ring in gray, which is, um, in gray, which is a really nice moment. And a cool little fact, that Tiffany store opened for the first time on a Sunday for the filming of this movie, and they hadn't done so since the 19th century. So that was a kind of cool fact about Tiffany's and Co. And it was quite recently, I think a few years ago, but Tiffany and Co. bought the original 1961 script at an auction in London. And it had the deleted scenes and the notes on the original script, even from Audrey Hepburn as well. And Tiffany's bought it for £632,000 
which sold more than the second and third uh, bids combined. It's now considered, I think it still is, the most expensive script bought at auction. And I think Truman Capote was um, paid around £650,000, not dollars, sorry, dollars. So he made less than what Tiffany's paid for. And he didn't even write the script, which is insane. He sold, and here's another cool fact as well. So he sold the right to the novel. So when you write a novel, there you get a screenwriter and they adapt it so they can shoot the movie from it. And so he sold the right to the novel. And so he was paid $650,000 for it. The man who adapted his novel into a shooting script, George Axelrod, ended up making more money than he did, which was really annoying for Capote. And he hated that. It's like a scriptwriter making more money than J.K. Rowling for the Harry Potter franchise. It's the same sort of thing. But coincidentally, at the very same auction house in London, roughly 10 years before that, so we're talking 2006, Audrey Hepburn's dress sold for $807,000, making it the second highest movie memorabilia sold at auction. I think the first was an actual Oscar trophy for the best film award, um, Gone with the Wind. God knows how much that sold for. I haven't looked that up. But yeah, so the the budget for Breakfast at Tiffany's was, uh, I think it was like $2.5 million, and it only grossed 400000 at the box office, making this film a massive flop at the time of release, much like Shawshank Redemption. And like Shawshank Redemption, the film grew in popularity from word of mouth. Well, actually, Shawshank Redemption grew in popularity because of um, video rentals, but it was word of mouth as well that grew in popularity, which parallels the movie's movement happening around at the same time as well with the, the women's uh, feminist uh, movement at the time. Audrey Hepburn for the film, though, was paid three quarters of a million dollars for the movie, making her the highest paid actress at the time. She was 31 years old when she played Holly Golightly, a character who is meant to be just 19 years old. Notice how she wears the same dress throughout most of the movie, the black one, but just changes the accessory for the outfit. Quite cool symbolic uh, meaning behind that. And the film does exist as a classic but many did not like blade uh, blake edwards controversial casting of the japanese neighbor being played by a western actor especially one of the caliber of mickey rooney now mickey rooney very famous and inspiring comedy actor but this however did not go well as the years went on when an american actor was casted as an asian man clearly using his comedic skills to feed the stereotype of a japanese man now blake edward the director in an interview after the millennium even said that looking back at the film it's the one thing he would take away and he regrets it it was in 2008 interview about the film mickey rooney said he was heartbroken about the criticism he received for the role he said blake edwards wanted me to do it because he was a comedy director they hired me to do this overboard and we had fun doing it never in all the more and 40 years after we made it was there were not one complaint about it every place i've gone in the world people say god you were so funny asians and chinese come up to me and say mickey you are out of this world rooney also said that if he, if he had known people would be so offended he wouldn't have done the role those that didn't like it i forgave them and god bless america god bless the universe god bless J- japanese chinese indian all of them and let's have peace that's exactly what he said in the magazine which is quite humble i think But that was then and this is now and lesson learned with what is acceptable and what is not. Before I wrap up, though, I wanted to talk about the cat, which is called Cat. And to this day, we still don't know why it doesn't have a name. Well, it does. It's called Cat, but, you know, more of a generic name. So in the book, she emphasizes that neither her or the cat belong to each other, that they are both independent and they don't rely on each other. But the movie touches on this, but plays a very big message in regards to the character of the cat. Now, the cat shows Holly the inability to commit to what keeps her happy, which is 
companionship and loyalty. She never embraces the cat in the movie. Like during a swing in 60s party, she chucks the cat outside of the taxi in the rain when they argue. She totally disregards the cat when Paul's around She or when she's getting ready to see the gangster. You can just clearly see that the cat wants attention and she just never gives it. And it's a big, big message right there. The cat is just a constant sign that she needs to commit. And it's okay to commit to a simpler life and we see this throughout the movie which is why when the ending happens she just doesn't she just she doesn't just embrace paul she embraces the cat too in the shot with the two actors and that's why it's such a good shot it's probably why the cat doesn't have a name because you know she didn't want to commit to the cat and have any attachments to it so you don't name it of course the famous ending when she realizes that she is attached to the cat when she goes hand in hand with seeing her lover paul is just so iconic simply for that message that exists throughout the whole movie that she is longing for a partner she wants companionship she wants loyalty she wants stability and that's why that scene at the end is so iconic but you know breakfast at tiffany's it's it's all about a woman who thinks nothing bad can ever happen to her and she solely feels that when she's eating her danish in front of the windows at tiffany's and the answer to her longer waiting companionship and the feel of real love is in plain sight but refuses to see it until right at the very end. But anyways, that's all I have time for with uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, one of the greatest rom-coms ever made and holds a place in the archives of greatest movies ever made. So please subscribe to me on Spotify, Google, and I'm on iTunes too. And you can also find me on Instagram, Film Exploration AH, all lowercase or one word. And once again, thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.